Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. You know, last week we started a new series of messages that we're calling Moments, and the, the graphic that we're using, the kind of analogy we're using is of the glass blowing. You saw that in the video just a few moments ago. Because when the artist pulls the glass out of the furnace, there's, there's not much time to shape it. They really have just a moment to shape it into what they're trying to craft, what they're trying to create. And life's the same way. There's these times when we live in moments, moments that we have to seize, moments that we can't afford to let go by, and we have to grab hold of those moments and make the most of them. The, the passage of scripture that for the next three weeks we're going we're gonna to launch out of um, comes from Ezra chapter 9. We looked at it last week, and it starts in this way. It says, but now for a brief moment... The Lord our God has been gracious, and we're going we're to take off from that point next week. But this idea that we live in these moments, moments of time that have to be seized. And so in the next three weeks, we're, we're going to find ourselves there in that passage in Ezra. But I, I want to stop from that passage today, and I want to go backwards a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai, it's near the very end of the Old Testament, some of you would probably say, I, I don't know anything about Haggai. Maybe you say, I've never read it. Maybe you say, I've never heard of it. It's kind of just two chapters. It's an obscure little book, almost at the very end. It's Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then you're at the end of the Old Testament. For many of us, if we've never read it, or maybe we, we just don't know anything about it, we're going to talk about this book today. And, I, and I'm going to ask you to bear with me for just a couple of minutes, because what I want to do it's kind of set the stage historically for where this is at. Because a lot of times, I think we read the Bible and we, we don't really think about when this happened or don't understand historically how it happened. So, so can you take like a, a little step back into history class with me for a moment? For some of you, that's a, a cause of some stress, but just trust me here, this, no test, this won't be painful, all right? So let me, let me show you a little timeline. This is a timeline of the book of Ezra, which is where we're gonna be for the next three weeks beyond here. We were there last week. Ezra has 10 chapters, so you've got those 10 chapters mapped out on the bottom. Everybody with me? Give me an amen. amen. Okay, good, because this is where you start to fall asleep. So we got, these, <laughs> we got these 10 chapters. The book of Ezra starts at 538 BC, which is this time in history. It ends in 457. It doesn't necessarily go like in a, in a, in a scaled chronological order, because the last four chapters all happen right in that year, about 458 457, but this is how the story's mapped out. And trust me, this is, this is really important. So let me tell you what happens in Ezra. In 536, the temple foundation is laid. Now, if you remember this, the Jewish people lived in Jerusalem, but they had disobeyed God. And if you go back and unpack the whole story, they had the Babylonian people came and captured Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and took the Jewish people with them from Jerusalem back to Babylon. That's a sad story. That's a bad deal. They were taken from their homeland into another land, and they were there in what we would call exile. They were there in exile. When 538, they came out of exile, about 50,000 of them went back to Jerusalem, and in 536, they laid the temple foundation. The temple had been destroyed, and so they're going to rebuild it. So in the process of rebuilding the temple, but watch what happens. They don't get back to the work of the temple until 520. So somewhere in those 16 years, and we'll look at this in just a couple of minutes, Somewhere in those 16 years, they stop working on the temple. They start working, and then they stop. They get something started, and then they give up. And in 520, they start building it again. In 516 then, they finish the temple, and it's done. 
And then the guy that's the, the hero of our story, which we'll get to next week, is a guy named Ezra. And Ezra shows up in, in five, or 458. That's when he gets to Jerusalem. The passage we just read in Ezra chapter 9 about one moment, that happens kind of in that shaded area there. That's the area we're talking about. That's where we'll go next week. So what's important for you to see is that years before Ezra even gets to Jerusalem, they finished the temple. They had stopped working on it for a long time. And in 520, something really significant happens. That's what we're looking at here today. It's Haggai's prophecy. This guy Haggai shows up in the midst of the time when they had stopped doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed, but they had stopped doing that. And Haggai shows up and gives them a prophecy. We read about this in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied that the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So this guy Haggai shows up in 520, 16 years after they'd stopped working on the temple, and he brings them a prophecy. What that means is he brings them a message from God. It's a message of correction. It's a message of, hey, you need to get back to doing the thing that you know you're supposed to do. Anybody ever told you that before? Your parents, your teacher, your boss, yourself? Hey, it's time to get back to what you know you're supposed to do. And the verse that really kind of grabbed me out of Haggai's prophecy was this one. Haggai chapter 1, verse 14. It says, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Here's, here's what Haggai was saying to the people. And I know it's a lot of names. I know it's a lot of history we're not familiar with. But here's what he was saying. Look, this is a moment that you can't let pass by. There is something that you were called to do. There is something that you were created to do. And if you don't do it, you're going to miss it. And he's calling them to this, that, that idea of something stirred in them. We'll come back to that in a moment. But my challenge for you today is this. Are you making the most of the moment that you're in? This moment in time, this place where God has you, are you making the most of it? And how do you do that? Today, what I want to show you as we work our way through the first chapter in Haggai, there's only two chapters here. I hope you'll take time and maybe read the whole thing later. We're just going to look at the first one today. We're going to kind of walk through what Haggai communicated to these people. And here's what I want you to see, five steps to making the most of your moment, the moment that you're in, the place where God has you right now, whether you realize it or not, how do you make the most of that? So I want to show you these five things. Let's, let's jump right in. We'll start with the first one. Number one, you have to start with purpose. Number one, if you're going to make the most of the moment that you're in, you have to start with purpose. Let's go back and see what Haggai says to them. He kind of rolls on the scene. Haggai chapter one, verse one. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, and you may say to yourself, why does any of that matter? Why do you read those dates sometimes in the Bible that you just kind of skim past? Because it helps us to anchor these moments in history. On our calendar, this would have been August 29th in the year 520 BC. This really happened. This is history. So in that moment, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, 
The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. What's significant about that? Well, what Haggai is saying is he's saying, look, there are people who are saying it's not time to rebuild the Lord's house or what we would call the temple. And what Haggai is saying is, yes, it is. (laughs) It's been time to build the temple. It's been time for you to be active and to be doing this. You have missed your purpose. Now know this, this this message today is not about buildings. It's, It's not about temples. It's not about building a house for God. This message today and the message there was the same thing. It's about, are you doing what God wants you to do? Are you in the place where God wants you to be? Are you effective? Are you committed? Are you launching into the purpose that God has for you? So don't confuse this. this. This isn't about history. This isn't about buildings. This is about you. It's about God's purpose for your life. And that's why the first step to making the most of your moment is to start with purpose. Their purpose was to rebuild the temple. But what's yours? Is it some big, bold thing like it was for them there, 500 BC? Or is it just a simple act of obedience that God would have for you to do? Is it being more effective in the places where God has called you, on your job, in your school, in your family? Or is it, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you about the fact that he wants to know that you've completely trusted your life to him. What is your purpose in life? And I think a lot of times we ask that question, like, well, what is my purpose? Let me give you a couple of things that might help to sort this out. One is your purpose is determined by your role. Whatever your role is, whatever it is that in this season of time, maybe your job, the things that you're doing to learn, the the places where God has put you, your purpose is determined by your role. You might say it in this way. What are the responsibilities that God has entrusted to you in the role that you're in? And granted, it might not even be a role that you want. Maybe you'd say, well, this isn't my dream job, or I'm not living in the place, or I'm not doing the things that I want to do forever. That's okay, but where are you now? Your purpose is where are you now, and you need to fulfill that purpose. Now, I have, a, I have a word of prophecy for you today, something that you may think will never happen, but I promise you at one point in the near future, this is going to happen. Someday, you're going to be driving down the road and actually see green grass. Can I get an amen? <laughs> All right? And you're going to be driving down the road, and you're going to be going through your neighborhood, and you're going to look over at somebody's house, and you're going to say to yourself, they need to mow their grass. Have you ever done that? Like you go by and like, look at that. They need to take care of their yard. Those people need to mow their grass. And have you ever done that and driven by, thought that, and then you realize, oh, wait, that's my house. Anybody? <laughs> and you're like, I need to mow my grass. Look, nobody else is going to come and do that for you. You've got to take care of that. Well, they might, but it's because you called them, right? You've got to take care of that yourself. Why? It's your role to do that. What's your purpose? Mow your grass. Why? Because you're supposed to. Like that, That's your purpose. So your purpose is defined by your role, but I'd also say this, and maybe even more importantly, your purpose is determined by your relationship, by your relationship, by the connections that you have to other people. Like your your purpose may be defined and determined because of what your last name is, what family you're in, the, the role that you play as a child or as a parent or as a spouse or as a family member. Your, your role could be determined in certain ways simply because of your relationship. What was it for the people that we read about in Haggai? See, the, the big deal wasn't that they were called to build a temple. The big deal was that they were called God's people. Because they were God's people, 
They were to do the things that pleased him, that honored him, that showed him that, that he was receiving glory from them. It was based on their relationship. And there's so much in your life that is determined and driven by the relationships that you have, the people that you know, the commitments that you've made to other people. And, and I want you to get this, understand this, your relationships are more important than your roles. I've seen an awful lot of people who have traded relationships for roles. They thought that what they did was more important than who they were. Your purpose is ultimately determined by your relationship with God, that you are God's child, that he has created you, that he has a purpose for your life. And so know this, don't, don't trade your family for a job. Don't trade your salvation for a reputation. Who you are is far more important than what you do. And you'll find your purpose first in a relationship with Jesus Christ than you will any other place. And this is interesting because people say to me, well, well, Chad, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what my purpose is. And we've talked about this a lot. It seems like God keeps bringing us back to this in the last couple of months. And here's a statement we've made several times, but I think it's important. Start with God's general will and allow him to direct his specific will. If you'll start by doing the things that you know you're supposed to do, just generally, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, as someone who wants to live by biblical principles, then he can direct you to the specific things. One other thing before we leave this, this idea of purpose. Like for some of you, you hear me talk about this and you're like, okay, dude, that's a, that's a nice little motivational talk you're giving there. It's like nice that you're telling me that I'm supposed to pursue my purpose. But I don't like talking about that so much because the last time I became purposeful, the last time I tried to do something in my life, it brought pain my way. It brought hurt my way. That last job, that last relationship, that last step I took, that last dream I pursued, it, it ended up hurting me more than helping me. So I'm not so sure I wanna hear your little talk about purpose because of the pain that I had in the past. And I, and I was I was typing my notes, and I just I felt that I needed to put in here and, and say to some people, it's time to deal with pain of the past, and say, look, I'm not going to let pain of the past keep me from moving forward. What's funny is when I was typing that in my notes, what I actually typed, and it must have just been muscle memory, what I actually typed was, we must deal with the pain of the pastor. Put an OR on past, and I thought, well, that's, not, that's not what I meant. And I, I deleted that OR, and then I thought, well, maybe that is what I need to say. Because some of you, your pain maybe has come from a pastor, or it's come from a church. I mean, I hear stories all the time from people who say, well, I had this, I had this church experience in my childhood, or I had this person promise me things from God that never showed up. Man, I'll, I'll be honest enough to admit, I'm sure that there have been times in my life when I've been the source of someone else's pain. Aren't we all at a place sometimes where we go, man, maybe I didn't handle that the right way. Anybody? Like, we're all human, right? And one of the things I think is important to say is that for some of us, we look at past experiences from people or churches, and that's what keeps us holding God at an arm's length. In fact, the truth is, for some of us, it's not just a pain from the past or from a church experience. Some of us, it's pain from God. And we're like, God, if you, if you put me in that place in the past, how could I trust you with my future? Look, I, I want you to know that God has a purpose for your life, and you have to start with that purpose. And please don't let what happened in the past keep you from moving forward in the future. Isn't the weather beautiful today? 
Look, our, our kids are kind of at an age where we're not, we're not doing this so much anymore, but it used to be that our kids played a lot of baseball, they played a lot of soccer, which meant we spent a lot of time out on a baseball field or out on a soccer field watching that in this spring weather, which is always so beautiful, isn't it? I can remember getting up early for soccer games that were cold and wet and challenged my faith in a good God. And I remember sitting out there going, why am I here? What am I doing here? But here's what I did not do. I did not go to one soccer game where I was cold and wet and miserable and then said, I will never go to another one of those games. I will send my child by themselves. I don't care if they get pneumonia. I'm not. Right? That wasn't my thought process. You know what I said? Yeah, I know that there are moments when the weather won't be right, but it's more important for me to be there in that moment for my child than it is for me to pursue my own comfort and my own desires. Does that make sense? So what some of you are doing is because it rained on your past, you're selling out sunshine in your future. You're missing out on moments that you're not going to get in any other way. Do not let your past keep you from what God has for you in the future. It would have been easy for the Jewish people to have said, oh no, we're not doing this again. Be careful that the pain of the past does not keep you from God's purposes for you today. It could easily happen and you'd miss out. Which leads us then, I guess, to the, the second step. If you're gonna make the most of your moment, here's number two. You have to identify the obstacles. Because there will always be obstacles to keeping you from moving into the moment that God has for you. And you have to identify them. Let's see what they were for the Jewish people in Haggai chapter one. Look, look at verse two. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now look, from, from our stage in time, we might not fully understand what those verses mean, but they did. They knew exactly what they meant. And Haggai was identifying the obstacles that were keeping them from doing what God had purposed for them to do. And, and watch, there will always be obstacles that will come your way. Obstacles paralyze you from your purpose. They keep you from moving forward, and they stop you from gaining the ground that God would have for you. And so I, I can't identify all the obstacles, but there's three that I think are here in this passage that are good for us to see. The first one is this. It's the obstacle of fear. And so it's times when we look at what's ahead of us and we'd say, well, I would move in that direction, but I'm afraid to. I don't want to do that because of how it makes me feel. I'm, I'm scared of that. I don't want that in my life. I'm afraid to move forward with that. And I don't blame them for feeling that way. Ezra chapter 4 tells us what happened when they started building the temple. Remember the story? They started building the temple and then they stopped and it was 16 years before they started again. Why did they stop? Ezra chapter 4 verse 4 it says, then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. So their neighbors started threatening them. Their neighbors didn't want to see them succeed. And if you read the book of Ezra, you'll see all the threats that they sent their way. So why did they stop building? They stopped building because they were scared. Why do you and I stop sometimes? Because we're afraid. What if this doesn't work? What if other people don't like it? What if somebody comes against me? Fear's a very real obstacle. Let me show you a second, a second obstacle that's here. It's the obstacle of apathy. The obstacle of apathy. This isn't I'm afraid to. This is I don't have to. I don't have to do that. Look at everything seems to be going okay. Things, are, things aren't great. 
Would I like him to be better? Yeah, I'd like him to be better. But I don't know if I want to put in the work and time for that. And so I, I'm getting by. I'm, I'm doing okay. And so maybe I'll just leave things the way they are. That's the obstacle of apathy. Just for the record, just leaving things the way they are, just thinking, hey, it's okay. That apathy is what ruins our cars and our houses and our health and our relationships. Here's a, here's a third obstacle we see here, and just very clearly is, is the obstacle of disobedience. It's the obstacle of disobedience. This isn't, um, I'm afraid to. This isn't the, I don't have to. It's the, I don't want to. Look, I know it's the right thing to do, but I just don't want to do it. It's just, it's just not what I want to do. It's going to infringe on my rights. It's going to take away my fun. It means I'm not going to do what I want to do. And so I just choose to disobey and do what I want to do. So there's three obstacles that we see here. How do we deal with those obstacles? What, what do we do when we come up against them? We'll, we'll talk about this more in the next few weeks, but let me give you just a couple of thoughts. One is this. You need to allow your fear to become your opportunity. You allow your fear to become your opportunity. Look, you're going to come up against things that you don't want to face. You're going to come up against things that are going to scare you. But can I tell you this? If you'll go head into the thing that scares you on the other side of that, it's usually where you end up stronger. Have you found that true? And it's oftentimes in the thing that scares you that God is able to work out something in your life where he can really build something, do something, use something. Because when you see that thing that scares you, does it scare God? Yes or no? No, it doesn't scare him. You get surprised by that. Did it surprise God? Yes or no? No, he wasn't surprised by it. He saw that thing coming. And he knows how he can use that thing to accomplish what he wants to do in your life. If you'll say, God, I know what my purpose is. I'm not going to let the obstacle of fear stop me. I'm going to use that as an opportunity to grow stronger. Has anybody ever heard of uh, NBA legend Charles Barkley? You ever heard of Charles Barkley? I just heard an interview with him recently. It was It was fascinating. And he was telling the story about how when he was a sophomore in high school, now he's six foot six now, but when he was a sophomore in high school, he was five foot ten. And his coach said to him, hey, Barkley, if you don't grow, I don't know that you're going to have a spot on this team. So over the course of a year, Charles, and I don't think he did anything about it, it's just the way that it played out. Um, over the course of the year, Charles Barkley grew from five foot ten to six foot five, made him a big man, and put him in a position to play high school, college, professional basketball, and now has given him the opportunity to run his mouth whenever he wants, right? Isn't that Charles Barkley? <laughs> Fascinating dude. Here's what he said. He said, you know, it was great that I was six foot five, but the best thing that ever happened to me was that I was five foot 10. Because when I was five foot 10, I had to learn how to dribble. I wasn't just a big man who could go do whatever I wanted. I had to learn how to handle the ball. I had to learn how to think smarter. I had to learn how to play aggressively. I'm really glad I was six foot five, but five foot ten is the best thing that ever happened to me. Does that make sense? You might not like where you are right now. You might not be six foot five yet, but at five foot ten, that's where your fear can become an opportunity for God to build something in you that's going to bless you later. So when you look at your fear, recognize this, that your fear can be your opportunity. And do this to trade your apathy for preparation. Because what happened was that for a season, the building had to stop because people were threatening the Jews. So they stopped building the temple. But instead of starting to rebuild, they just got kind of apathetic. They just kind of took it easy. They just kind of settled in. 
And look, we all do that. It's the, it's the path of least resistance. It's the easiest thing to do. We, we just kind of stop. And if you're in a place where you have to slow down or you stop in a certain way, don't just become apathetic. Think of that as your opportunity to prepare for what's ahead. Here's a good example. Do you remember King David in the Bible? Before he was a king, he was a shepherd. Before he was a shepherd, he was a little brother. And his family said, hey, little brother, you go out and take care of those sheep. You get away from us and you go do that lonely, menial, nobody job. David could have just sat there and watched those sheep in apathy, but do you remember what he did? While he was out there, he practiced his harp. While he was out there, he trained his hands for war. He learned how to use his sling. He became an awesome warrior. He knew how to challenge an enemy because he had protected his sheep. And most of all, while he was out there, he prepared his heart to know God's heart to the point that later in his life, God said of him, he is a man after God's own heart. Do you know what that means? That instead of just sitting back and enjoying his apathy, he faced that thing and he made it his chance for preparation. See, your obstacle that's fear is actually your opportunity. That moment of apathy is actually your chance to prepare. God wants to use your obstacles to actually bring blessing into your lives. Does that make sense? Third obstacle, disobedience. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Let's go to the third thing here. Five steps we're looking at today. The first one, start with purpose, identify your obstacles. Number three, you have to live in unity. Number three, live in unity. In both verse 12 and verse 14 of what Haggai said, he mentions these names. He mentions Zerubbabel and he mentions Joshua. And then he says in both places, he talks about, and listen to the language he uses here, the whole remnant of the people. He means everybody, the whole people. They were all together in this thing. Number three, you've you've got to live in unity. You've got to choose to do something together, that you're not constantly fighting and bickering and stirring up dissent, that you choose to live in unity. And that's a big deal because you don't just see it in Haggai chapter one. If you go to Joshua chapter one, where God's telling Joshua to take the people into the promised land, he says, make sure you prepare all the people, make sure that everyone is on board. When we get to Acts chapter two in the New Testament, when God pours out the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, what's it say? It says that they were all together in one place, in one accord. See, when God does something special in our lives, he does it when there's unity. God blesses unity. And when there's division, when there's strife, when there's fighting, it makes it hard for God to do what he wants to do. Do you believe that? And so at some point, you have to choose in your own life to choose unity. Here's why. An absence of unity creates an abundance of chaos. When there's an absence of unity, it creates an abundance of chaos. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? I mean, it just just comes in. So let me park here for just a minute because I I, I think this is good for us to know. What, What do you mean when you talk about unity? One is this. You've got to have a unified self. You've got to have a unified self. Now, that can have a tendency to sound kind of like, like new agey, or you've got to find your inner self, or you need to kind of you know, just become one with everything around you. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about a unified self, think about what James said. James chapter 1, verse 8 says this, that such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. When someone can't make up their mind, when they don't know what direction to go, they become unstable in every other area of life. Think about it. Have you ever been really hungry, but you're not sure what to eat? Anybody? 
Do you know what I mean? It's that moment, maybe, maybe you just got a little bit of time, you're driving down the street, and you're like, well, I don't want that, but I don't want that, and that's not good for me, and that's too much money. And you got, Do you know that thought? Anybody else? And you're kind of at conflict inside because you don't, you don't know what to eat. You ever had a few minutes, you're like, well, maybe I'll sit down and watch something on TV, and you kind of look for something to watch, and you got all these choices, and they're all boring. Do you know what I mean? And so you have to say to yourself, which one of these shows that I don't want to watch do I not want to watch the least so I'll watch that show? Do you know what I mean, right? And you're trying to decide, but you're torn inside because you, you haven't made a decision. And when you don't make a decision, you're double-minded. And when you're double-minded, you're unstable. At some point, you have to choose to embrace your purpose to move past those obstacles and be unified in yourself to say, look, this is my identity. This is my purpose. This is how I'm going to live. I'm not going to try to go all these different directions. God, I'm going to live for you. We need to have a unified self. And, I, and I'd also encourage you, you, you have to have a unified home. If in your home there's all this division and dissent and strife, it's going to hinder you being able to move forward in the moment that you're in. So you not only have to have a unified self, you have to have a unified home and make sure we are on the same page. We have common goals. And look, I, I see this more often than not, that what keeps people from their moment is nothing more than the fact that they, they can't move forward because they're divided in what direction to go. And I watch so many people, whether it be in their home, with their family, in their friendships, that far more damage is done to them because of the arguments and the strife that happen with the people closest to them than what happens from the enemies on the outside. You have to make sure that you have a common goal, that you're on the same page. Mark chapter three, verse 25, Jesus says this, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. You have to have a unified home. And, and one other thought that I think is, is really interesting there's this passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter six. And, and listen to how it starts. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Do you wanna be on a list of things that God hates? <laughs> no, I don't. Watch what he lists here. He says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, I'm not talking about speaking out against injustice. I'm, I'm not talking about standing up for what is right. But do you know anybody who just loves to be the stick that stirs the pot? They just try to stir stuff up. Happens in the family, happens in relationships. Let me let you in on a little secret. It's been known to happen in the church where there's people who just for whatever reason, they just like to be the stick that stirs the pot. Did you, did you see what God says about that? God says if that's you, he hates it. And every time you stir stuff up in your family, in your workplace, with your friends, that you actually put yourself in a place where, where you become God's enemy because what you're doing is detestable to him. Do you think this idea of unity is a big deal? Look, if you want to make the most of your moment, you, you got to grab hold of that. Third step is, is to live in unity. Let me give you a fourth one. Number four, that you choose obedience. Number four, that you choose obedience. 
This, this is a place that we'll, we'll probably expand over the course of the next couple of weeks, but go back to what we read in the, in the book of Haggai. Haggai's given his prophecy here, and it says this. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. Did you see what, what changed everything here? When they decided that they would obey God, this whole story changes. When they decide to say, God, we'll pursue your purpose. God, we're going to push past the obstacles. God, we're going to live in a way that honors you. Here's why. Obedience is the key. Look, if you want to make the most of the moment that you're in, at some point you have to realize that the key is that you choose to embrace God's purpose and that you move forward with obedience. A while back, one of the, the locks on a door in our house that, that goes in and out of the garage, like it's just old, so it started to wear and the key wasn't working right, and the knob wasn't working right, and I said, I just need to replace this thing. So I went to the store, got a new one, put it in, and, and it only came with a couple of keys, and we got more than a couple people in our house. So I'm like, well, I got to get some extra keys made for this. So I went and got the keys made, and, and you know, they make them at the little counter there in the hardware store, and then they give it back to you. And so I go back home, and the, the keys won't fit. Like, they won't, they won't quite fit in the hole, which means they, they won't quite unlock the door, which means that I'm not quite happy, right? Isn't that how it works? So I go back, and I say, hey, the, you know, this is this, they're, just, they're just not working. They look right, but they're just not working. And the, the person behind the counter was kind of like rrr, rrr, grumbling about the person that made them in the first place, made me new ones that were good. Because if you don't have the right key, if the key's not right, you're not going to be able to move forward. It's interesting what happens in this passage of Scripture. We, we won't take the time, but you can read Haggai chapter 1. And what God says to the people in, in Jerusalem is this. He says, look, nothing's going your way. <laughs> You feel like you don't have the resources you need. You feel like you're not as effective as you should be. He uses lines like, you wear clothes and you're still cold. And he says, do you know why things aren't going your way? Because you're not doing the things that I would have for you to do. You're going in the wrong direction. And as long as you go in the wrong direction, then you're going you're gonna to struggle and you're going to be frustrated. If you want a key that's going to unlock your future, it starts by choosing to give obedience to God. See, obedience unlocks God's purpose in our lives so that we can move forward in that purpose. And your life will not move forward until you choose obedience. And obedience unlocks God's blessing. This is what we'll see in the, in the next couple weeks as we talk about this, this one moment that obedience unlocks God's blessing in our lives, which leads us to say that I want to move forward. I want to make the most of this moment. So you start with a purpose. You identify your obstacles. You live in unity. You choose obedience. And here's the fifth thing, last, last thing here, that you are awake to action, that, that you awake to action. Look at the words that are used here. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. There's something powerful there, that there's this moment where you realize there's something more that I'm called to do. I'm called to seize this moment. And it says that it's stirred up inside of them. That there are these times when something moves inside of you, that it stirs something inside of you. For some of you today, th this very instant is that moment where God is stirring something inside of you, calling you to move in some kind of different direction, to make the most of the moment that's in your life. And understand this, we're talking about moments in this series, but moments start with stirrings. 
Moments start with stirrings. When there's these times when, when something stirs inside of you, let me give you just a real practical example. One of the absolute most important moments in my life, August 7th, 1993, when I stood at an altar in Warren, Ohio, and said I do to Rhonda. That was a huge moment in my life. But do you know when that moment actually started? It started with the stirring in 1988 when I said, wow, <laughs> who is that? And I felt this stirring, if you know what I mean, <laughs> right? One of the most important moments in my life started with a stirring. And God's stirring something inside of you, and you have to choose what you're going to do with that. Are you going to ignore that, or are you going to respond to it? When you see that word used in the Old Testament, that word stir, it's used in a lot of different ways. It may mean to, to wake up, to get moving, to start acting. When something stirs inside of you, it has this idea that you awake to action, that you move past fear, and you move past apathy, and you move past disobedience, and you say, I'm going to do the thing that I know is right to do. To be stirred means to awake to action, and for some of you, today is a moment of stirring. Let me give it to you in a way that you can probably recognize. Now, I doubt that any of us have anything that looks quite like this by our bedside anymore. But have you ever had a moment where you kind of just looked at the clock and said, oh, wow, do you see what time it is? Like maybe you slept through your alarm or you forgot to set your alarm or you just kind of missed it or you weren't paying attention. And all of a sudden, you look at the clock and you go, oh, man, look at what time it is. Anybody ever been there? I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night last night for sure that it was time to get up and get ready to go to church. And I looked over at my alarm clock and I saw I had three more hours that I could sleep and I had a prayed service right there in my bed at that moment. <laughs> I was so blessed. I was like, I need to sleep some more. This is awesome. That's not the moment I'm talking about. It's the moment where you look at the clock and you go, ooh, it, it's time to move. It's time to act. I can't stay in this spot anymore. Some of you have been so stuck by fear. Your purpose is so much greater than that. This is your moment to awake to action. Some of you have been sitting back in apathy and God's saying, I got so much more for you. It's time to wake up to action. Some of you have been missing out on what God wants to do to bless you in your life. And it's time to say, I'm going to choose obedience, God. I'm going to set aside what I want. I'm going to go in your direction. It's time to wake up to that and something's stirring inside of you. But let me take this one more step because some of you are going, hey, Chad, that's, that's cool and everything. <laughs> but I don't know that I can do it because you don't know my moment. You, you don't know this moment that I'm in and just how fearful it is. And you don't know this moment and, and what the unintended consequences might be of this. You don't know this moment and what it might cost me in some ways. You don't know this moment and what other people might say to me. No, I don't, but I can imagine this, that when Haggai told the people it's time to build again, that they said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what about this minute? What about this moment? And yet they chose to obey. And when they chose to obey, God gave them another word of prophecy. Like when they chose to obey, he, he had another word for them and he could have reamed them out, right? He could have said, what took you so long? Or he could have said, hey, let me give you the blueprints again for what the temple should look like. Or he could have given them this long, extravagant word from God to try to encourage them. You know what he did instead? 
When they finally said, we are gonna wake up to this moment, God gave them four words, Haggai chapter one, verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord to the people. Watch this. I am with you, declares the Lord. That, that's a powerful message. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, do you know why the Garden of Eden was so special? Because Adam and Eve were with God. When God asked Abraham to go someplace where he didn't know where he was going, do you know why he could do it? Because God promised him, Abraham, I'll be with you. When Jacob left Joseph in Egypt, he said this, God will be with you. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, you know what they held on to? Their hope was that God was with them. When it came time for them to cross through the Red Sea, do you know why they could do it? Because God was with them. When God put Joshua right up on the edge of the promised land and said, Joshua, you're going to go in someplace and you're going to have to fight giants and you don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you this, I will go with you everywhere that you go. When David stood and faced a giant called Goliath, you know how he knew he could win? Because he knew God was with him. When Daniel was in the lion's den, do you know why Daniel knew it wasn't lunchtime yet? Because God was with him. When those three Hebrew children were in the fiery furnace and the king looked in, do you know why they didn't burn up? Because there was a fourth person he saw in there because God was with them. When Jesus came, this is the Christmas message, right? They called him Emmanuel, which means God is. When Jesus left at the end of Matthew chapter 28, he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. When Paul was in Acts chapter 18 and he thought the whole world was falling apart, you know what God said to him? Hey, Paul, it's bad, but don't worry, I'm with you. And when you get to the very end of that book in the book of Revelation and you read about heaven, do you know what the best part about heaven is? It says that in that place, he will be our God and we will be his people. What makes heaven heaven is that we will be with God. And for some of you, the challenge that you're facing right now, the problem you're up against, the moment that you're in, the best thing you can hear right now is that God is with you. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm, I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would please. And I know that for some of you, this is probably a little out of your comfort zone. But the, but the team's going to lead us in a song that talks about how God is with us. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you would say, this has been a message for the moment that I'm in. That God, I needed to hear this today about purpose and about obstacles and about unity and about the choice of obedience and God about waking up to where I'm at. And some of you may clearly needed to know that God is with you in this. Then I'm simply just gonna ask this, that as they start to sing in just a moment, that you would step out of your seat and come and stand right down here and we're gonna pray together in a moment. You would say, why would I do that? Why would I move from one place to another? Because I really do believe, in, and you see this in scripture, that where we stand is important. And there are moments when a spiritual reality in our lives requires a physical response. And for some of you to break out of the moment that you've been in and to step into the moment that God has for you, it's gonna mean that you've gotta physically take a move and say, God, I choose you. God, I realize you are with me. God, I want to be where you want me to be to make the most of this moment. And so I'm gonna pray. And after I pray, the team's gonna start to sing. And if you would say this has been a message for your moment and you need to move forward knowing that God is with you, then I'm just gonna ask you to step out of your seat. Just come down here and stand, scoot towards the middle. We'll make room for everybody that wants to come. But this could be a significant moment in your life. Father, thank you for this moment. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the way that you speak to us. Lord, thanks for reminding us that you are here right now. 
Lord, in just a moment, as people move from their seats and come and stand, Lord, would you, would you be with them right where they are as they choose to follow you in this moment in Jesus' name? If that's you, if God's speaking to you, just step out of your seat and let's come and pray together. toward the center. Let's make room for those that are coming. You're here with the hands of a healer with the power of a spirit you're all we need at the mention of your name moment means for you and others of you be honest I don't have a clue but God knows he knows exactly why you're standing here he knows exactly what this moment means he knows exactly for some of you why you're saying to yourself man I probably should be there and and he knows exactly how to be here in this moment for you and so here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do and, and this is why I think a physical response is really important like in this next moment I'm gonna lead us in a prayer 
But don't just listen to my words. Would you in your own heart, maybe even with your own mouth, vocalize and, and speak to God about where you're at right now, what this moment means for you. Don't, don't just take a walk because some dude in a jacket told you to do it, right? Make this a moment where you realize that God is with you. I want you to have just a little physical reminder of this. Just for, so if you're, if, you're, if you're right down here, and just all throughout the building, would you just put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you? N- nothing, nothing weird, right? You don't have to driver's license number or anything just just <laughs> let them know that there's there's a presence that's right here with them in this moment because it's a physical reminder of a spiritual reality four words god says i am with you so father in this moment we come to you lord a moment that some of us are thrilled to be in but overwhelmed by a moment that others of us um have dreaded that this moment might actually come? A moment that some of us have longed for or a moment that some of us are just so shaken by. But what's good to know, God, is that you saw this moment and you're right here in it. And you know where we're at and you know what we need from you. And God, this, this, this message and this day and this church service wasn't just another one, but for many of us, it is a moment that you are stirring something new. And we have chosen to awake to that with action and seize this moment from you. God, for some of us, help us to recognize that our purpose will only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, for some of us, it's a moment for us to move past fear to opportunity, to move past apathy to preparation that you wanna do in our lives, to move past disobedience to the key of obedience to unlock your blessing in our lives. Lord, for some of us, God, you're you're calling us to make unity in ourselves, in our home, in in our our church, in our life a priority. Lord, we choose to obey you. You've, You've stirred something in us. But Father, may we not forget that as we go from this moment into the rest of this week, that we're not there by ourselves. You are with us. You're with us in every fear. You're with us in every uncertainty. You're with us in every question. You were there in the past, and you'll be there in the present, and you've promised to be with us in the future. And so, God, we trust you today because you are with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look, a couple of thoughts. If, if you want to know more what it means to be a follower of Jesus, grab one of these cards as you leave the auditorium. Stop by our Connection Center. We want to talk to you more. Look, you might want to hang out here for a minute, pray with one another, encourage one another. You do that before you go. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Go in his special favor and his wonderful peace.